Page 923. Welcome to the service today. It's a beautiful morning. Just everyone has had a good start. Enjoyed the weekend. You know, if you're visiting with us today, first off, I want to I thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to come worship with us at La Prada Church of Christ. I would ask you to please consider staying for lunch afterwards. There's plenty of food. We'd get, love to get to know you. Matter of fact, I, I think I owe one of the visitors an apology. I mistook you for a, another person, and, and I greeted you with a bear hug. So uh, <laughs> welcome to La Prada. <laughs> so uh, we are the hugging type, but usually we don't risk you at the front door. But uh, I feel like I got to know you nonetheless, but thank you for being here. Uh, you know, um, on a personal note, uh, I want to I thank you all for your prayers uh, for Kaylin uh, as, as her, her battle continues with her digestive system. Ashley and my mom and her took off for Ohio yesterday. Lord willing, they'll be gone a week. We don't know, but uh, we'll keep praying about it. And uh, God's always seen us through and he will continue. But thank you for the prayers. You know, today we're going to continue the series that started a couple weeks back concerning the prominent women in the Bible and the profound impact that they brought forward. Now, the next few Sundays are going to be discussing these women. I think this is an important topic. Rarely do you hear women discuss from the pulpit, and that's unfortunate. Women play a major role in the work of the church, things that men could never dream of doing. And they have impact, impact that has tremendous repercussions, good or bad based on what they choose. So today I have the distinct privilege, I'm going to speak on Rahab. The story of Rahab. You know, Rahab is one of only two women listed in Hebrews chapter 11. For those who don't know, Hebrews chapter 11 is oftentimes referred to as the, the heroes of faith. You have biblical individuals in that chapter that, that uh, demonstrated tremendous faith. Well, Rahab is, is amongst that group. She's one of only two women. Now, the story of Rahab is found in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 through 6 is really the story that, uh, that the Bible has given us in reference to the impact that she had and where she came from. Her story is, is really kind of amazing. She proves to be a very faithful woman. She demonstrates this time and time again through her actions. You know, in Joshua, we find that kind of a, a history here to, to, to verse 1. In Joshua, we find that uh, God's people have been wandering for 40 years. Now, what's taken place here is that, if you recall, Moses had been instructed to take the children to the promised land. So he decided... We're going to send 12 spies in. They're going to scope it out. We're going to see what's the best way for us to take this land. The spies return. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back. Said, Lord's with us. Who can be against us? Let's go. However, the other 10 came back and said, there's giants in that land. If we go there to certain death, there's no way that we're going to take over. The children of Israel spoke. Matter of fact, in Numbers... Chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, it says, Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land. 
concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephthah and Joshua the son of Don. Now we get to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So what we see here is that the 40 years has now passed. It's now time for the children of Israel to take the promised land. All those that had made the decision not to before, age 20 up, they're dead. They fell in the wilderness. Now it's their children that are charged with Joshua to take the land. Well, there's one hurdle, one large hurdle. Not to say that it would be easy to take the land, but really there's one main issue. It's the city of Jericho. To take this land, you've got to take Jericho. Jericho is approximately 14 miles west, 14 miles west of the Jordan River. It's deemed to have an impenetrable wall. Now keep in mind, the city of Jericho is a Canaanite city. It's a strong standing point for the pagan religion, pagan religions, acts, their rituals. It's not godly. These people are taking part in activities that God would never tolerate. Now in doing that, you've got these two walls. Not just one wall, it's two walls. One is approximately 13 foot high. The other, the, the, the watchtower goes up to, if I'm not mistaken, 28 foot tall. They were intended to protect the settlement, protect the water from any intruders. And this is the part of the story that really kind of introduces us to Rahab. You see in Joshua 2, verse 1, it reads, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out a two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and longed there. So these two spies are seeking to gain entry into Jericho. Obviously, they weren't trying to get attention. Now whether they were terrible spies... Or perhaps there was an informant that informed the king. What's going to take place here is that the king is going to send for them. And if, they, if they're caught, they're going to be put to death. Their cover's been compromised. Joshua 2, 2 through 3. And it says, And it was told that the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men into hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they do, excuse me, so they be come to search all the country. Now before Rahab, before we get too much further into this story, let's consider her background as to what's going on in her life up to this point. You know, Rahab's described as a harlot. That's what she is. She's a Canaanite prostitute. She lives in Jericho, which is not only a Canaanite city, but again, it's one of their strongholds on the pagan worship. Matter of fact, the, the god, the fake god that they were worshiping in that time was Ast- Astaroth. 
which is the goddess of the moon. Now, Rahab's home was set high in this wall in the city. It was near a gate. It's near the main gate. What that afforded her is that she had the opportunity of of seeing everyone coming and going through the city. She had the opportunity to solicit her services to those she wished to. But everybody saw who went into her house. Everybody saw those that truck in and those that trucked out. Everybody knew who was visiting Rahab. Now, every job has advantages and disadvantages. Rahab's is no different. One of the advantages of her job is that she gets to know her customers. They feel comfortable with her, and they confide in her. From that perspective, she was a pretty good individual to touch base with in the sense that she had her finger on the pulse. She knew what the men were thinking. She knew what the men were fearing. She knew what was going on in the city. Now, this pagan community, pagan community didn't look down on her profession the way we do today. As a matter of fact, their beliefs permitted it, even encouraged it at some points. Of course, the Israelites are under God's law, which forbid that profession entirely. Actually, it was punishable by death. So at this point in the story, we have two spies that are inside the home of Rahab. Anyone on the outside would be inclined to think that they were just there as customers. Now Joshua 2, 4 through 6. And the woman took the men and hid them and said, Thus, there came men unto me, but I was not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I won't know. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. You see, if she had been caught hiding these spies, it was certain death. She's hiding the enemy. But she chose to hide the men, and she rendered an excuse to the king, the king's guards, as to where the men had taken off to. And then in the next few verses, she declares unto the spies something pretty profound. Verses 9 through 11, And she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And soon as we had heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did they remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. So here we have a pagan prostitute that's taking in and hiding men of God. That's what it is. She's proclaiming that she knows God is going to destroy her city and all the occupants of it. Now consider, she has not ever been exposed to God's law. She hasn't. So after all, her lifestyle, her culture, her acquaintances, they're all pagan. Of which, she is most likely a very active participant. 
She had not been able to benefit from leaders such as Moses, such as Joshua. She wasn't around them. But she heard. She heard stories. That's the only thing she had is what she got from work. These stories, the fear of the men that she serviced. They would share with her Now these stories she heard were the Israelites escaping from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of Pharaoh's army. It's the largest army in the world. Anything they wanted. He destroyed them all at once. She heard about that. That was 40 years before. She heard about the victories over the Amorite kings. And she was sharp enough to pick up on the fact that the false gods they had always worshipped had never done anything for them. Never provided for them. Yet the God of Israel, she noticed, continually delivered his people time and time and time again. And her conclusion was correct. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. But you see, she doesn't stop there. Verses 12 through 14. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, and that that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother, and my brethren and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. If you utter not, this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Isn't it interesting that Rahab's concern wasn't just for herself? It wasn't about her. It wasn't about the me. Although it would have been easy for her to be the only Canaanite to be saved. She thought about her family. She thought about those that she was closest to. We have no reason to believe that her family shared any of the views that she did. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But what she requested was granted, and that we do know. Now, the opportunity to save her family wasn't given when she requested, but it was received. And as we read on through the rest of this chapter, we learn that she advised the spies after she let them out of her window as to where to go and where to hide for three days until the company that had gone out to chase them had come back. She looked after them. She was informed at that point that she needed to take that crimson, that crimson cord, put it out her window, when the attack began, and that anyone inside her house would be saved, referring to her. Joshua 22 through 23 reads, But Joshua had said unto the, unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she had, that ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, And all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. So what's unique about Rahab? 
Notice she is the only one that was willing to act on her, on her fear. She had heard these stories. Text provides in verses 9 through 11 that we're told that the whole city was aware of the miracles God had demonstrated for his people. The men in the city were fearful. They recognized the position they were in. And it'd be reasonable to think that most of them, with the exception of Rahab, they took comfort in the walls, the walls of Jericho. They had faith in those walls. But these walls that were thought to be insurmountable, you still had people on the inside that didn't have the courage because they knew something was wrong. Scripture tells us that the men had no courage. You know, have you ever been in that position where you just know down deep in your gut that something's not right? It's not going to happen. It's just not lining up. Your gut just talking to you. I would imagine that's what they felt. They knew something wasn't right. They were in trouble. Yet just as people do today, they were not willing to admit that they were wrong. They were not willing to admit their shortcomings. They weren't willing to consider the fact that their false gods were going to lead them to destruction. They weren't willing to accept the Creator was coming in. Rahab realized that the false gods she had grown up knowing had never provided, not once. She was determined to accept her, was not going to accept her fate as a Canaanite. She was determined that, that wouldn't be the case. And because of that, she chose not to fear the result of what was coming, but she chose to fear God. Proverbs 1, verse 7 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fools despise wisdom and destruction. Amen. Proverbs fifteen thirty three: The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. You see, her fear of the Lord came from the knowledge of things that had happened in her past. Stories, just like ours does. This godly fear humility that enabled her to seek out God. That fear manifested. It manifested into faith. Her fear was not one of trembling that perhaps her neighbors in Jericho felt. But here, her fear was more of an awe of the power and the might and the majesty of God, our Creator. You know, had she lacked faith, that fear that she experienced could have easily turned to panic. And that panic could have led her to say, hey, here's the spies. Render them over to the king's guard. Yet she chose faith. Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Excuse me, Romans 10 and 1. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now consider her past. Rahab was the exact antithesis of what Israel was supposed to be morally and righteously. She wouldn't have expected that outcome. Neither would you and neither would I. 
We don't really expect that from pagans and prostitutes today, do we? Say we don't, and I think that's unfortunate. Isaiah 59, verse 1, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear dull to hear. Now, Peter is also reminded of this by God in Acts, chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Oh, a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Absolutely. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. God's love is extended to all. You know, I think oftentimes it's easy to overlook that faith, you know, it's easy to to proclaim faith. I have faith in God. I think that's something that most people that we associate with would feel comfortable stating. Matter of fact, many do. But it's easy to overlook the fact that faith requires action. James 2, verses 24 through 26. See how that the works of man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You see, Rahab, her faith was tested more by what she chose to do than than what she thought about what was taking place around her. Notice in verses 9 through 13, Rahab confesses her faith to God, to the spies, before anything was ever done or agreed to on her behalf. Her security was not there. Hebrews 11, 31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. So at this point... This point that she had spoke, she didn't have any security. It was only her faith that saw her through. She trusted in God. She had faith. It was impossible. Impossible in the day of Rahab. Just as it's impossible today for us to Please God without faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have anything. There's not a starting point. Rahab had true faith. Hebrews 11. But without faith, it is impossible to please. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, briefly, I want to point out an issue that some people get hung up on when they read this story. Specifically, it comes out of verses 4 through 5. It says, And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wish not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went out, I won't know. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. You know, for some not familiar with Scripture, you could read this and say, well, you know, Rahab lied to the guards. And then you could construe that and understand it to be, you know, lying is acceptable if it's under certain circumstances and certain conditions. After all, Rahab did this and it saved God's men. And absolutely you're right. There's no doubt about it. Rahab lied. 
But let's not mistake the fact that lying is always wrong. It doesn't matter if it's done with a good cause. Lying is a sin. Proverbs 12, verse 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. You see, it was a sin for Rahab, and it's a sin for you and I today. Rahab was anything but perfect. After all, she was a harlot. Let's not forget that she's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She's grown up not having any knowledge of God. And at this point, it's reasonable to assume that she doesn't realize an issue with her profession, much less that she probably recognized that lying is not in accordance to God's will. But what she did have, she did have the fact that she was trying to do the right thing and follow God. Her heart was in the right place and her intent was very, very sincere. Now, one area that we all should take comfort in, as Rahab did, is the fact that God is a very, very merciful God. Praise the Lord. You see, God accepts Rahab because she feared and attempted to do what was right. You need to make note of what brought about this change in Rahab's life. It was the fear that brought about the faith. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, it reads, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, there was a time that each of us was just like Rahab. We were living lives in contradiction to God's will, weren't we? Possibly you are today. All that we could base our life on was this blindness and corruption of the sin. But it's at the point that you recognize the similarities in your life and in Rahab's life that you recognize that you truly deserve death. You don't deserve mercy and there's no hope. We don't deserve to be saved, you know. This world is going to be destroyed. Everyone knows that. Those that don't believe claim that. The world is not going to last forever. Well, we know it's going to be destroyed. Scripture tells us. We come to have faith in God based on what we hear about Him and what He has done. Our faith is just like Rahab's. It's based on what we here, to God's word, what he's done, even with the people around us. You know, just as surely as Rahab hung that red cord outside her house, the window, that red cord that signified she was going to be saved, each of us, most likely if we don't have, we've seen Bibles with red lettering. The red lettering speaking from our Lord and Savior. Addressing the fact that He shed His blood for each of us. 
You know, it starts in Genesis 3.15 and it goes over and over until the end of Revelations. Made clear through Jesus' blood. Scripture is very clear that Rahab is not living or engaged in anything God would desire before Jericho's destruction. She was a sinner. She was caught in what she understood to be life, what she understood to be the truth. But through faith, she recognized the need to change. Through her faith, she followed God and was able to have her sins forgiven. See, God's mercy saw Rahab through. She was able to turn her life around and stop living that life of sin. How do we know? Because Rahab had truly a repentant heart. She changed her way. And you know, repentance, repentance is not possible without us changing. It requires change. To truly repent, repent requires us to make a conscious effort to change an action or an activity that we're doing. Anything less falls short. It's not repentance. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, if her repentant heart, it was her repentant heart, that brought Abraham who She didn't earn her salvation, and neither can you, neither can I. We can't achieve that. But what she chose, she chose to have faith, and she demonstrated it through her actions, and her actions spoke clearly. Rahab, after being saved from Jericho, would later become one of only five women listed in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That can be found in the book of Matthew. You see, Rahab was married to Solomon, and she would bury him a son named Boaz. What that results in is that she ends up being the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Again, our lives are similar to Rahab. She didn't... She didn't earn that salvation. She chose to follow God, as a matter of fact, when everyone else was taking another path. No one was with her. She chose to save her family when it would have been so easy just to look after her own hive. But she made the conscious decision that she was not going to live in fear. She was going to live in faith. God did not intend His people to ever live in fear. She chose to live in faith. It's safe to say that when she did that, and took her family out of Jericho, that their lives were literally turned upside down. Put yourself in their shoes. All these pagan beliefs, these rituals that they've always taken part in, no longer happen. Actually punishable by death. You have no food, you have no roof, you have no friend, and now you're in literally a foreign country. Someone has taken it over. But her faith saw her through. Rahab's mentioned in Faith's Hall of Fame there in Hebrews. 
strictly because she had tremendous faith. It's faith that we should all aspire to. To think of what she was and where she ends up is truly incredible. But all things are possible through God. You see, she literally went from, you could say, a harlot to a hero. Rahab's reputation, it wasn't an issue to God. But you know what? Your reputation is not an issue to God either. The fact that she was a prostitute and she carried that tag over her head didn't matter. God's mercy covered it. It was not even a problem. You see, like Rahab, we are invited by our Lord and Savior just as we are. You don't have to change before you become a part of the family. Because God will assist. You know what God's good at? He's good at taking our brokenness and transforming it. He consistently takes the damaged goods that we bring forward, put at His feet, and He really turns, turns it into remarkable things. Sometimes it's just incredible to look back on the hand that he had. So what do you take from today? You take the fact that there is hope. There is always hope. There's hope for everyone in this world. Take the fact that faith requires action. It doesn't matter if your action isn't there, then your faith is dead. You know, this morning there may be one amongst us that that's hurting. Struggling with life because everything seems to be falling down on them. God's given you a church family. He's instructed us to pray, and we are a prayerful church. But if you don't tell us, we can't help. Momentarily, I'd ask you to come forward. But there also may be one amongst us that has never been baptized, has never experienced the beauty, the relief of knowing that the burden of sin has been lifted off your shoulders. They're carrying those broken bones. And they don't have much hope. Well, faith requires action. Rahab had tremendous faith. And her faith was put in action. So if by chance that is you, or if there's one of either class, then I would kindly ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.